One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Censored, the podcast where I celebrate literary smut. My name's Aoife Vertnach, and I'm a historian who reads dirty books to distract myself from depressing research. Find me on Twitter, at CensoredPod, for more on sexy book covers and silly censorship. If you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'd be so pleased. But if you can't, tell a friend to listen. Share the filth then everyone's happy. As I prepared this episode, a minor censorship debacle afflicted my home library in Cork City. Susan Culkin's book, Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out, was withdrawn following a complaint. Apparently, it was unsuitable because it contained references to paedophilia and sex abuse. This was pretty shite, to be honest. I source a lot of once-banned books through this library, and it's a public service of immense value to thousands of people. After a small stink on Twitter, the library changed its mind and returned the book to the shelves. But only those with adult reader tickets can borrow it now. One person's complaint, driven by anti-trans sentiment, was enough to get a book withdrawn. The battle lines of literary censorship have changed, but the fight goes on. I hope Cork City Library will reconsider. They made a hames of this one, but I know they can do better than that. This week's book, Sleep with the Devil, was published in 1954. Written by American pulp noir author Day Keane, it wasn't banned by the Irish censor until 1961. There was no good reason for the delay that I can see. Either the censorship board was caught out, or they were overwhelmed by the numbers of books being produced during the 50s. In fact, 1954 was a record year for censorship. The board banned 1,034 publications. The bulk of these were books like Keane's Sleep with the Devil, mass-market, cheap, American paperbacks. There were so many Pulp Fiction books to ban that the board simply missed out on Keane. But they were catching up in 1961, banning four of his books in just two months. Keane was a prolific writer. In 1954, he published seven novels, so the censors had a lot of books to ban. Like other pulp authors, Keane wrote novels for cash. A manuscript could fetch a couple of thousand dollars, so he had to publish a lot to earn a living. But he was often reviewed in the New York Times, His noir novels of crime, sex and violence 
weren't simply cheap, disposable entertainment. Keane's books are atmospheric, suspenseful and pretty thrilling, populated by hard-drinking men and smouldering sexy women. Everything is morally ambivalent and the tone is deeply cynical. To match the spirit of the book, I should be drinking rye whiskey, but I don't think it's widely sold in Ireland. So I'll be sampling some bourbon and ignoring the unfortunate college-era flashbacks the taste brings. But if you don't want to drink, you will also be embracing the book. The main character, Les Ferron, lives two different lives. As Ferron, he drinks rye with a sleazy redhead, but his alter ego, Paul Parrish, is a Bible salesman living a sober life in a rural Christian enclave. For a short book you'd read in an afternoon, it has a surprisingly complex plot. Whether you grab some fiery alcohol or abstain, prepare yourself for a gripping noir thriller. Like other pulp books I've read, Keane offended the censor by page one. Ferron, posing as parish in a sweltering hot church, leers at his fiancée Amy, contemplating the delights that await him. And here it is, the first bannable passage from page one. Dewey was the word that best described her. Dewey, virginal, untouched. Her face was elfin. Crisp black curls peeked out from under the modest poke bonnet she habitually wore. Not even her simple grey gown could disguise the perfection of her form. There was a hidden devil in her grey-green eyes. She was a smouldering volcano, as yet unawakened, awaiting the touch of the master's hand. Well, that doesn't seem too bad. The problem is, Ferron is in his early thirties, while Amy is consistently described as a young girl. If you can forget this while you read, it makes the queasy feeling go away. But as Ferron says of himself in the last line of chapter one, a heel was the lowest thing in the human nervous system and consequently had no conscience. And Ferron is an absolute shit. He really is repulsive. He plans to marry Amy, then feck off with all her father's money when he's bored of boning her. He also plans to kill his employer back in the city, a loan shark called Whit Bennett, and steal all his cash. He contemplates this while he's singing in church. We learn all of this in chapter one, which sets up Ferron as a sordid, wicked, sly anti-hero. He's so devastatingly amoral that you can't help but hope he'll get away with it. Now, there's no subtlety in this narrative. Keane doesn't fool you into liking Ferron. He just lays it all before you. You either form a love-hate relationship with this character or you stop reading the book. I'm a sucker for crime and noir, so I enjoy this sort of thing. Obviously, the Irish censor wasn't a fan. I've counted 16 Keane novels on the blacklist so far, all banned between 1958 and 1967. But there's good news. Irish people are now borrowing once-banned Keane books from the public libraries across the country. I noticed they're all large print editions, which are generally read by elderly people with failing eyesight. Obviously, the respectable old ladies who visit public libraries are avid readers of hard-boiled noir. Fair dues to them, the filthy old ones. So what sort of book are the golden oldies of Ireland reading? 
Ferron is plagued by thoughts of sex, drink and cigarettes when he's pretending to be Paul Parrish. When he is in New York as Les Ferron, this is the sort of bloke he is. And this passage is a sex scene from the end of chapter two. The red-haired girl made up her mind. Well, I'll have one drink with you, but that's all. She started for the kitchenette. Ferron caught her by the shoulder and spun her back into his arms, his big, capable hands caressing her brutally, savagely. To hell with the rye, it can wait. The red-haired girl screamed in pain. Stop, Les, please, you're hurting me. What do you want? Ferron picked her up in his arms and carried her toward the open bedroom door. Don't give me that. You know what I want. Ew, not good. Then you turn the page and chapter three begins. The actual sex happens off the page. This is even less explicit than the Ori hit book I read in season one. That yes means no is typical of this period. A lot of the sex Ferron has, or imagines, is violent and rapey. I say rapey not because it isn't rape, but because the text tries to blur the lines. For the purposes of the plot here, Lydia is not raped by Ferron. The narrative presents this as consensual sex rather than assault. There is a more extreme example of this later on in chapter 9 when he is snogging Amy, his fiancée. And reading this bit is when I regret my promise to tell you all the rude bits. Ferron felt as if he was holding a white-hot flare in his arms. The small breasts boring into his chest made the blood pound in his ears. Sweat dripped into his eyes and blinded him. It was all he could do to keep from flinging her down in the hay and ripping the grey dress from her quivering young body. He wanted to hear her scream with pain as he took her, brutally, savagely, then hear her moan with ecstasy as her body acclimated itself to this new way of life. He wanted to see her small, oval face, ugly and contorted with passion when, as the Bible so succinctly put it, they knew each other for the first time. Well... That sounds like rape to me. What a horrible sex scene. Maybe you can get away with writing that if the character imagines it rather than doing it. There's no way the censors would let a book written like this circulate in Ireland. The board was careful to ban crime noir because it was often characterised by this violent, amoral criminality. The influence of Pulp Fiction so worried the Archbishop of Dublin, John Charles McQuaid, that he wrote to the government asking them to pay close attention to this genre of literature. You may remember McQuaid from the episode on The Ginger Man. But The Ginger Man was full of explicit sex. Sleep with the Devil is a much milder text. Here's another example of suggestive rather than explicit sex from Chapter 3. Spending a night with Lydia was like wrestling a man-eating tigress in a barrel going over Niagara Falls. A man never knew just what was going to happen next. When Lydia loved a man, she went all the way. It sounds debauched, but you have to imagine what all the way means. Added to the restrained sex scenes is a morality tale of a bad man struggling to reform himself. From chapter two onwards, Ferron thinks he would like to stop drinking. He would like to marry Amy and live happily ever after. But he fatalistically accepts his corrupted self 
and ignores all his opportunities for redemption, killing Whit Bennett with brutal efficiency. This isn't the first murder he has committed. He beat up a young black man called Roberts on Bennett's instructions and fatally injured him. And it's this subplot that gives Keane an opportunity to talk about police corruption and race. The murdered man's brother, a decorated Korean War veteran, is making trouble, calling for a police investigation into the death. Bennett is a former police officer who relies on his ex-colleagues to turn a blind eye to his loan shark business. He sends Ferran to sort out the problem, but his conscience prevents him from beating the shite out of the meddlesome brother. But once Ferran kills Bennett, Robert's brother becomes the main murder suspect. And Ferran finds this hilarious, and this is a piece from Chapter 8. Ferran's laughter continued to mount. He beat on the bed with his fists. He laughed until he was weak, until tears rolled down his cheeks. He'd never read anything so funny. He'd never been so amused. Who knew? It could be Roberts would burn. This is really horrible. It makes it harder to be invested in Ferron as an anti-hero because he's almost irredeemable at this point. Burn here refers to the electric chair. New York State was the first to replace hanging with electrocution. The worst part about this plot is that it works only if you accept that the nearest convenient black man will be found guilty for a crime he didn't commit. There is little to no suspense from this plot point. I did not worry that Ferron would be caught for murdering Bennett. The fatalism over police corruption and racial injustice is pretty grim. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But as the book progresses, this plot is used to show how much Ferran has reformed. When he's living as Paul Parrish among the Christians, he hopes Robert will be freed. When he's with Lydia, he thinks Roberts can go to hell even when he hears that the man has been beaten by the police for a week, trying to make him confess. 
But by chapter 14, the effects of living as an upstanding Christian for weeks on end has transformed Les Ferron. Cigarettes taste foul, the whiskey burns his throat, and he reads that Roberts is to die in a few days. And this is his dramatic reaction. Smoke continued to get in Ferron's eyes. He tried to laugh and couldn't. He tried to tell himself that it didn't matter, that it was better it happened to the big sergeant than to him, and made the bathroom just in time. He'd never been so sick. Now, his revulsion doesn't last long. He burns the newspaper and tries to forget about it. But he can't stop the revelations. He likes living a good, clean life on the farm, and he's determined to return to it. He's going to double down on his deception and profit by it, become an upstanding citizen after he has caused the death of so many others. At this point, he's been responsible for the deaths of Roberts, Bennett and Lydia. He strangled her accidentally, by the way. And is about to be responsible for the execution of the other Roberts brother. He's killed three people. He's a feckin' serial killer and the reader is supposed to hope he'll have a happy ending. And he almost does. His wedding to Amy is interrupted by local hicks with incriminating evidence, and he legs it. Ferron then proceeds to drink himself stupid, but the booze brings terrifying visions of his murder victims and the women he has hurt. In an agony of conscience, he rushes out to the nearest cop car and confesses to the murders, hoping to prevent Roberts's execution. He's manically pleased that he has salvaged something from the wreckage until this happens, and this is the last few lines of the book. The cop turned around and Ferron continued to grin. Only thing is, the cop said, you got your time of day mixed up. Ferron laughed. This cop was a jerk, just like all cops. What the hell was he talking about? Roberts, the cop went on. They're not burning him tonight. They took care of that this morning. Ferron stared at him. Then he tried to laugh again. He tried and tried until he sobbed. And that's how the book ends. The rehabilitation failed and he pays the ultimate price. What's curious in this plot is how only the deaths of the two black men bother Ferron. The Roberts brothers haunt him in a way that Lydia and Bennett do not. Yet the first Roberts died before the action of the book begins and the other isn't killed directly by him. The deaths of the Roberts brothers are fundamental to the morality of the novel, but not central to the main action plot. From its opening in a church, to its ending in spiritual damnation, this book is a real morality tale. Keen dressed it up in cigarette smoke and sex, but this book is not about the joy of cheap thrills. Nothing but noir could offer this addictive combination of cynicism and morality. So far, I've made the book sound very grim, and it is. But I did also laugh at unexpected flashes of sly humour. At one point, Ferron takes a modelling job for a quick book. Believe it or not, he poses as a murderer for photographs in a true crime magazine. I was stunned at Keane's audacity when I read this. A character in a hard-boiled crime thriller poses in a true crime magazine. You have to laugh. Keane is taking the piss out of himself, his industry and his readers here. 
and this photo shoot is the damning evidence that ends his wedding to Amy. Keane is just so bold. But really, the funniest part is seduction via the Songs of Solomon. I'm going to read an extended passage from chapter 9, when Ferran is about to go skinny dipping in a lake. He surprises his fiancée Amy, who's doing the same thing, and biblical smut ensues. Ferron stood rooted where he was, thinking of the Song of Solomon. Almost unconsciously, he quoted aloud, How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter! The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hand of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet, which wanteth not liqueur. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. As if mesmerised, Amy quoted from the same book. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is of Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. So Amy sees a naked man for the first time and thinks of a cedar, a tree with a massive trunk that grows up to 2.5 metres in diameter. Interesting. Ferron was obviously concealing some serious equipment in those cheap cotton undies. I'm less impressed with the line, thy breasts are like young rows that are twins. Her tits are like baby deer, cute but dappled and hairy. Maybe not all cultural references translate well. I doubt the sexy Bible bits bothered the Irish censors that much. The Catholics who ran the censorship system considered the institutional Roman Catholic Church a little bit more important than the actual Bible. After all, good Catholics didn't need to read it for themselves. The hierarchy read it on behalf of the laity, telling them how to interpret it. Though there are plenty of literal-minded Protestants who would find this passage particularly offensive. Even though the Irish censor thought this was a bad book, Keane worked in a publishing environment that censored itself. Sleep with the Devil was first printed by Lion Books. Its publisher, Martin Goodman, wanted to sell a lot of books, but he didn't want to push his luck. When a book featuring a pimp sold 90% of its print order in a few days, he thought he had gone too far and pulled the book from sale. As a contemporary said, he would get as close as he could to outright sex, but above all, he wanted to stay out of trouble. As a genre, pulp fiction is more tits and titillation than cocks and copulation. I find it hilarious that books written to be thrilling, but not explicit, were branded indecent by the Irish censor. Keane was already fucking censoring himself. Censored at source by his publisher, he was then banned in Ireland. Naturally, he made a decent living without Irish sales, and he was extremely popular in France. Contemporary reviewers did agree that his work was saturated in sex and violence, even if the sex wasn't explicit. He was often praised for his writing style, so if you do want to read Good Noir, you can turn to Keane. His titles maybe don't make a lot of sense, 
I think this is called sleep with the devil because Lydia says to Ferron, I'd sleep with the devil for you. It doesn't really relate to the storyline at all, but maybe Keane didn't have a knack for titles. A final word on his name, Day Keane. He was born Gunnar Hajarston, but his mother was Daisy Keeney and sometimes went by the name Day. He created his nom de plume from his mother's pet name and an abbreviated version of her surname. This American pulp writer had Irish roots, but he's not a famous celebrated member of our diaspora. He wasn't a politician or a rebel or a great musician, but he was a successful, accomplished, best-selling author. Maybe it's time he was added to the Irish Abroad literary canon. Like lots of great authors, his work earned the best backhanded compliment the state could give. He was banned in Ireland. So would I recommend reading this? Sleep with the Devil is a good read. You wouldn't be wasting your time with it. It's been reissued as an e-book alongside two others. Reissued keen books are worth reading. You can be sure the most interesting novels have been selected. If you like crime or noir, you could do worse than pick up a keen novel. But it does depend on your tolerance for truly terrible male characters. Today's crime novels are still full of nasty misogynistic men, but the tropes have changed, so this period piece may not be for you. I did find the rapist serial killer almost too repellent to sympathise with. But what would I know? The elderly borrowers of large print editions are good judges of quality entertainment. And now it's time for Rude Bits Bingo. I can't wait to see how offensive Day Keen really was. The first box on the bingo card is breasts. Yes, there are loads of boobs in this book. I even think Keane should get a prize for a truly terrible description of breasts in the steamy Solomon scene. It's so bad I've got to read it out to you. Her breasts were smaller than Lydia's, but perfectly formed, as if the material of which they were made was too rare and too precious to waste. What tripe! That's truly awful. I hope he was trying to reference the sculpting of woman from clay by God, but it's still shite. Next on the card is bestiality. No mentions at all. Sex work. Yes, Ferran is visited by a sex worker in his hotel room. Racism. I would say yes, but Robert's wrongful conviction is never presented as arising from racial discrimination. But New York as a segregated city is well described. Regardless of Keane's intentions in the narrative, I think I am going to mark this square, actually. Drugs. No, no drugs. And no politics either. Swearing. There are a few goddammits, but that's about it. I don't think that's enough to warrant a bingo score. Infidelity. Oddly, no. Nobody who's having sex is married to anyone, so I can't take that one. Crime. Well, yes, it is all about crime. Genitalia. No, no references there. Abortion. Not even one reference. No orgies. Sexual assault. I'm going to mark this in spite of what the text wants me to believe. Ferran assaults Lydia and wants to rape Amy. I think it's justifiable. Extramarital pregnancy. No, not at all. 
Masturbation. Yes, Farron gets so wound up at the sight of Amy's lacy undies that Farron writes, he couldn't do anything but pant like a 15-year-old farm boy abusing himself in an outhouse. Sex toys. No, no sex toys. Feminism. Most definitely not. Divorce. No, because established marriages are not part of this story at all. Contraception. Miraculously, given all the sex, not a single reference. Menstruation. No, not at all. Blasphemy. I'm going to mark this, as the biblical sex references would have offended many a Christian, even if the Irish censor probably didn't care. Oral sex. No, no oral sex. Graphic violence. Oh yes, definitely. There's lots of violence described when Ferron murders Bennett and when he recalls killing Roberts. Queer content. Nothing at all. So Sleep with the Devil by Day Keen scores 7 out of 25 in Censorship Bingo. It was ruder than lots of high-class literature banned by the censors. Along with his friend and fellow pulp author Gil Brewer, Keane was heavily censored by the Irish state. But I wonder, did he even notice? The next book is by one of the most famous Irish authors ever, Samuel Beckett. I'm going to get mental whiplash as I switch from hard-boiled noir to, well, Beckett. He's one of a kind, so unique that the word Beckettian was coined to describe his work. I've never read any Beckett, so I have no idea what to think of a book called More Pricks Than Kicks. When I rang the library to order it, the librarian snort laughed at the title. I'm hoping it'll be funny and filthy. Until then, read something salacious, preferably in a large print edition from your local library. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.